to the Scholar Spotlight initiative, uh, the Global Policy Next Generation. And I'm delighted to have a dear friend of mine and a colleague and a classmate, Carolina Werner, with me to discuss her um, research and her findings and her amazing work that she has done so far. And then I had a pleasure to witness throughout the years. So Caroline, please tell me um, a bit of about your research and let's start with your elevator pitch. Well, thank you for that very kind introduction. I'm very excited to do this with you and have a chance to talk about my work. Um, in terms of what I do, uh, I focus on indigenous governance, uh, inclusion and peace, especially in the sub-Saharan African context. And I'm increasingly looking into settler colonial states as well, such as Canada. And I specifically look at the relationship between indigenous governance institutions and the state government to better understand the role and influence of, of indigenous um, institutions on the governance system. Into one idea, so this is this is excellent to hear. And um, I wanted to ask you what motivated you pursue this exciting stream because we're seeing multiple ways you can turn to it. So what brought you to this? I um, lived in South Africa for, for several years when I was young. Um, it was during apartheid toward the end of it and then, and then after, after uh, it was abolished for a while. And I think this had a lasting effect on, on you know, what I focus on in terms of my own research. Um, I never really understood how one population can justify the subjugation of another um, in such an exploitative an unfair way and at the time I was quite young so for it so to me it was a, a very very you know unfair really was the thing that I was thinking and eventually as I started working on things uh, related to peace building I increasingly became aware of the role of indigenous and customary institutions in the African context um, and their role in 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 uh, resolution conflict resolution and peace and this became kind of the gateway, the entryway into what I'm doing now, because I became convinced that peace building projects funded by um, donors from the global north mostly um, did not understand these institutions and were in fact, you know, not engaging with them, not recognizing them or their role in, in peace. Uh, and to me, these were legitimate actors, legitimate governance actors that had a very important role. Um, and so I, I started, I, I wanted to understand, you know, what is their role? What is their relationship with the state? How do they influence governance and thereby also influence peace? And getting to it, I, I know your journey. I know your stories and we all heard your stories now. And so, you know, early on, um, especially for the master's researchers, for early PhD researchers, do you have any advice? Because this is such an important topic. It is becoming we're uncovering recently more and more findings. We are reshaping our thinking. What advice would you give to them as they're listening to us today? Mm, so I'm a first generation student and um, it was it was kind of tricky for me to navigate. You know, I, I did my master's and then worked in different places, um, mostly on research. I worked in think tanks and research institutes and such places. And I... Uh, and then I realized that working in those places means that I, I, I can't always do research on my passion project, you know, and, and this was where the PhD became, became an attractive option and things aligned in my life in a way that, that I happened to be able to apply for a PhD and do it. And I think 
I guess the things that I didn't know as a first generation student um, made that process a little harder. And so I, one of the things or some of the things that I would I would you know, tell master students uh, that are going into this process more than anything else is uh, general things like, you know, really think carefully about the university and, and the people that you will want to work with uh, in terms of your supervisor, but also of your committee, remembering that likely what you think your PhD project is now will change by the time you actually get to, to, to writing the dissertation. And so make sure that the people there are, are, are colleagues that will work with you, that will support you, but also have the breadth of knowledge to adapt to small changes in ways that you're approaching your subject matter. In terms of specifically in my field, um, you know, in indigenous governance or, or African studies, as you mentioned, more and more universities are, are paying attention, especially to indigenous studies. And I think, uh, you know, then look at the university and your potential supervisor and, and understand the relationship that they have to the different communities that you want to engage with yourself. Um, because uh, that support and that knowledge and those the, the understanding of those communities and the ability to uh, help you engage uh, with communities and, and kind of collaborate and, and work together with them is really important. Fantastic advice. I think especially on engagement and looking at the communities, we don't usually, you know, sometimes we stop at the supervisor. Oh, this person looks great. I think our interests align. The next step, I think it's phenomenal just thinking about it. And especially when you spoke about this unspoken rules in a way and in your, you know, in your questionnaire, unspoken rules are really, really something that I've been figuring out, have been shaping the way how we carry out research, the way how we carry out everything afterwards. You know, from the ethics uh, boards where we sign up and say what we can do, what we can do. I think those are hidden things that we, we need to call more attention to. Especially. Yes. So this is this is excellent. Thank you for the advice. I hope uh, you know listeners will take it on and yeah, it's like a safety bag, you know, trying to get it along. Hopefully, it's helpful to somebody. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Let me go back to your research. Then, do you see work on indigenous governance, inclusion, and peace, and building everything in common? So you spoke a bit um, about what made you interested in, in this topic. What are the issues that you have? Based when you were doing research because I know you've done field work, extensive interviews. How did that shape your experience? Was there something that we as researchers should be aware of if we decide to do something like this? And so I guess this connects a little bit to, to the question earlier, you know, about, about communities and engagement and, and understanding who you want to work with and collaborate because I think especially in a field like I am, you know, it is all about co-creation of knowledge and, and, and collaboration. Um, and I think, I think the issues that I, I still wrestle with, and I suppose I will wrestle with to, to, till the end, um, are my positionality more than anything else. I'm, I'm not an Indigenous scholar. I'm not uh, from an African country. Um, and so I, I'm always very aware of, of, you know, who I am as a white woman, educated primarily in the global north um i uh you know have certain access that some people won't have but i also don't know many things that I, and i will never understand them really in a way that that will do them justice so so these are things that i i grapple with a lot and um think about um 
And then there's, you know, the things that I suppose all of us struggle with in different ways, especially now during COVID, but in general, you know, the support that you receive from the people that you work with at your university, primarily as a PhD student in particular, you know, your, your committee, um, whether these are people that can support you, that 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 are able to 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 you know make things easier for you um, as you try to pursue uh, your own work, and then also issues of funding, you know, which which again are never ending in academia, right? There's there's only so much um, so much that you can do in terms of applying for different things. And I was lucky; I was able to to fund some of my um, field work that you mentioned that that was you know, relatively, relatively extensive um, that I wouldn't have been able to do had I not received a grant for it. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, things that I, I think we are all faced faced with when we, when we try to do research, particularly in places that are not, um, not, not close to home. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. That's a fantastic advice, Gar. I think everybody should listen up and they should, uh, think about you know how do they finance research how do they connect with the communities those are really important issues not just in you know pieces and building indigenous studies but across different fields and I know it's easier for some fields than others you know if, if you're doing desk research if you're doing like you know uh, historical studies or something like that we don't need to travel but for, for those that do need to they do need to get access to communities I think this is very valuable advice to start in, with their project, especially the conceptualization of it. I think it's important yeah. to inbuild it into their thinking early on. So this is great. So given that we talked about um, everything that has been difficult in the field, what is the most rewarding part of what you're doing? What, what kind of drives you um, once you so, do research? So for me, I guess it's 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 mostly the people I get to meet and and that that I'm allowed to learn and and kind of see the world through their eyes you know learn about their belief systems about their worldviews um and and that in 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 return changes the way I view the world and understand the world um which which is you know amazing I think it's 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 an amazing um, gift that that I have I have received from from the many many people that I've you know spoken to about my own work and and the different perspectives that they have shared and and different ways in which they see and understand things and and that's kind of the thing that really really um, keeps me going while at the same time you know making sure that I remember who I am and where I come from and why I'm doing what I'm doing and kind of checking my own privilege. Um, Thank you for, you know, bringing this up. You're always inspiring me. So I'm so grateful <laughs> that I get to share, you know, share your thinking with others today. Because, you know, the things you say, the learning, the experiences. And uh, when you, especially when you posted on your questionnaire that, you know, your research, it keeps hope alive for you. This is something, you know, something really inspiring. So can you elaborate on this statement? It keeps up life for you. How how do we how do we see it? Yeah. We <laughs> I, I, know, <laughs> I know that sounds naive, uh, 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 you know, no. um, but I, I, and I'm normally in many ways, uh, always really a, a pragmatist, right? Because I, I think of a lot of my work in, in terms of how how would policy react? How how can policy be changed? What can we do in order to to uh, 
you know, address some of the issues that I raise. But at the same time, um, I'm an idealist, you know, when I do my research, I, I get so excited about it and so hopeful that that here are issues we're talking about. They're really important. People are excited about it. Um, you know, they want to talk about it. They want to figure out how to deal with 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 the, the issues that we're talking about. And so that's what drives me. You know, that's what keeps me coming back and 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 um, gets me hopeful, really, it, despite the fact that, you know, much of what I do and, and it's again, on positionality, you know, I, I internalize these things very differently from, from those, mm -hmm. those scholars that are Indigenous scholars that are, uh, you know, that have lived experiences of the things that I, that I study. Um, and I'm very aware of that, but, but at the same time, some of, some of what I work on, because I work in peace and conflict in a way, is, is also a lot of horror and systemic violence, structural violence that I, that I, um, you know, learn about and, and that is also affects affects me on, on different levels. But but it also, you know, this hope keeps me coming back to it and, and is what, what drives me. Oh, wow. This is inspirational. But uh, let me uh, go back to your comments into, into the policymakers, the making change. So you said on your questionnaire that you hope that the field will focus on decolonization of the discipline and focus on including more scholars from regions outside of the global north. And um, what challenges do you envision policymakers having if they move to that direction? Because this is something really ambitious and something that we are all striving for. And Canada has been doing commitments. We have been signing up into the international, you know, uh, agreements to promote indigenous rights, trying to decolonize our thinking. So I want to take, hear your take on it. How do you see policymakers, you know, responding to all of this? I think I think that is very tricky, and 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 one of the reasons it's it's tricky, and I I think that's also been talked about by different scholars and in the literature, is that that policymakers are kind of trapped in a framework uh, that is um, really, you know, connected or or created by colonial power. By a colonial power matrix, right? I mean, it, it 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 is at the core of it is it was created by colonial powers and is maintained to to kind of um, to uh, make sure that the people in power remain in power. And so, you know, Adele Lord says uh, this quote: "The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house." Um, and and that's kind of how I how I think of that framework, right? We while we can make adjustments to 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 policies and to the way they are we respond to certain things. These are just problem solving things. They're not they're not decolonization needs to go further than just adjustments, right? And that's tricky for policymakers. But I think that it's important, you know, in practical terms that. Policymakers recognize this, and they also recognize um, the other actors that they have not been engaging in, which is slowly happening. Like in terms of of this, you know, you mentioned the the indigenous um, uh, rights, uh, the declaration for uh, on the people on the rights of indigenous yeah. peoples, yeah. and and then, but also this recognition and the inclusion in in policymaking and and kind of the agency of of, of different groups. As, as not just rhetoric, not just 
a word that we use, you know, inclusion is important, inclusive societies, um, but, but really understanding what that means. You know, how do you include women, but effectively, right? Not just a seat at the table, not just add and stir. How do you include indigenous peoples? How do you, and it'll differ depending on who you're talking about. There will be different ways of inclusion. And what does inclusion mean in these contexts? And how can we together work to change the system, which is inherently violent? Mm. And I know that's a tall order <laughs> and doesn't answer your question yeah. directly, but I, I think this recognition by policymakers more yeah. than anything else, understanding the framework within which they are working is, is a big first step. Exactly. And I think what you've been talking about is the challenge is the path dependency that we've been having, right? We are, we, institutions are always locked in. And I think by rethinking, by challenging our own beliefs, by reconsidering what we hold as established truth, you know, and I love the quote, by the way, but yeah, thinking about how we can remaster the house, you know, from the inside, if we're not going to take it apart. I think those are the things that policymakers should keep in mind. And we just read for the, we're doing book release for Global Policy Next Gen, and we read the global governance. And some of the discussions were exactly related to what you've been saying. We need to mm. rethink the way how we are approaching this because of the constantly new issues coming up, us not being able to, you know, evaluate those things because we have a preset set of ideas in our head. And I think it's so difficult to part with them. And so this is excellent that you're raising this point. I think it's very important for us to think from an outside perspective and seeing, oh, this is what we built. We need to think about how we deconstruct it and how do we make it more roomy for everyone, everyone's beliefs, everyone's ideas. So I think that's that's an excellent advice for policymakers. And I hope they're gonna take it on board, you know? Yeah. Um, and also you gave us a really impressive list to read in your questioner. I, I saw so many great names and, and you picked up. Uh, can you tell us why you picked them? What would they signify? How they inspired you? Um, I mean, you know, I think for all of us as scholars, you have a whole list of people who, who have, have made an impact on your work. And, and, and the list that I gave is by no means exhaustive or, or, or representative of all the, all the um, you know, influential and important work. If I were to, most of these, the, these scholars have written things that have furthered my thinking mm -hmm. on different issues. And if I were to pick one specific one who, who really made a difference in, in many different ways to me, and, and I know that uh, uh, he would laugh, but um, Pierre Engelbert was kind of the first mm -hmm. one that I read and uh, the first scholar that I read early on um, in, in my PhD work that really I felt resonated, his thinking really resonated with where I was going, what I wanted to build on, you know, and, and, and I felt reassured that somebody is talking about some of the things that I'm thinking about. And, and it felt like this means that I could, you know, continue the work that I'm doing, that I'm on the right track, that people are talking about it. And he, um, both on, on, on this kind of intellectual level, kind of gave me a, a, a good start and and also on a personal level has you know kind of i reached out to him at some point uh, when i knew that he was attending a conference that i was at and and he met with me and had coffee with me and 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 has been since then very supportive whenever i do reach out and talk to him and so 
I feel like he's, he, he was this, 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 um, affirmation <laughs> early on of, yes, what I'm talking about is important. I should keep going. <laughs> so if, if I were to choose one, one person, it would be him, I suppose, because of that, that ongoing support and, and personal mm. connection and that starting point. Um, but, but there, it's, it's hard to just, just point to one person. And that's why I gave you a whole list okay. because I, I couldn't decide. <laughs> Exactly. And I think this is what we need. The bigger the list, the better, right? We need to start with, with the whole list and then pick someone who really resonates. And I love this story. I think it, it's an eye-opening. And I think every PhD, every student or master's or ECR, whether they find somebody who writes something really interesting, they should reach out, they should tell them. Because, you know, in your case, it turned out amazing, right? You have somebody who shares the similar viewpoints you can talk to it. and I think we should build this community these connections and this is what will drive future research this is great and before we wrap it up uh, I wanted to um, ask you about your recommendation on the things for apart but yes I like... it. Um, so yeah I picked this one because it's not a scholarly book it's a novel and I yeah. feel like therefore it is accessible to to anybody whether in my field or not but it's also kind of an acclaimed classic of of uh, you know it was it was published in the late 50s and it portrays um life uh, in a Nigerian village prior and and then during colonization from the perspective mm -hmm. of 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 uh, uh, a um important community member within within that village and it was written by a Nigerian uh, writer mm -hmm. um, and so it was one of those first novels to come out to portray African life from the perspective of an African um, and specifically Nigerian I don't want to suggest that Africa is, is, is you know um, cohesive or um, uh, the same everywhere but in this mm -hmm. in this uh, specific one it, it it really it's a it's a it's a nice, you know, it's an interesting book to read for anybody. And I thought it, it, it also portrayed some of the issues of colonization and, and the influence it had on, um, on the people in, in this village in particular, but also more broadly. That's fantastic. I think, you know, even those outside of the field, they should pick it up and read it because I always think that, the, you know, the novels that reveal something about the historical past, the connections, the list stories, are really eye-opening and I've read so many of them growing up you know and I'm so thankful for some the people that were putting the books in front of me so this was great Tara. <laughs> I think I'm gonna follow your advice and read this one <laughs> to try to understand what's going on well, the ground but I hope you enjoy it thank you but it has been so lovely sitting here with you discussing I wish we had more and more hours to, to talk about those issues because you're fantastic your VPNs are always amazing so thank you so much for sitting down with me today and chatting with everybody and sharing your ideas, with, you know, with the bigger community. So we're so grateful thank you. for that. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I appreciate it. And it was fun talking to you about all of these things. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's a wrap. <laughs>